All right, guys, welcome to episode 10 of From the Stands, the Cool Picks show. Uh, today, my guest is 15-year NHL alumni, Ted Irvine. Uh, so let's get him connected. We just wanted to get him set up um, over the phone, so it says connecting. There he is. <laughs> How are you, Ted? I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you? Good, man. Am I coming clear to you? Unbelievable. You're getting better looking every day. <laughs> Thank you so much. So are you, man. Thank you. <laughs> Lo- loving the hockey jersey. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, number one in your program, number one in your heart, New York Rangers. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's just hop right into it. Uh, how are things out in Manitoba right now? We're doing pretty good. Manitoba, I'm really proud of Manitobans. They've uh, behaved and listened to the rules, so we don't... Uh, have a lot of deaths, uh, thank goodness. We're sorry for the people that did pass, but uh, uh, we haven't had a lot of positive tests the last week or so. So people are behaving themselves. It's a long, drawn-out thing, uh, but we'll come out of this okay. But uh, very proud of Manitobans right now. Awesome. That's so good to hear. And your family, everyone in your family is doing well? Everybody's doing great. Uh, uh, my wife Bonnie's doing very well. Our kids, my daughter in uh, California, Vanessa's doing well with her two kids, and uh, Chris, our son, uh, the wrestler, he's in Florida, and their three kids are doing great. Also, we're really lucky. My family's good. My sisters are good, and my office is good. Uh, so, compared to the rest of the world, we're very, very blessed. That's awesome. Well, let's just hop right into this interview. So, my very first question for you is: How did you want to? get into or why did you want to get into hockey as a career well because at that time away back when what are you doing with those islander shirts in chicago black hawk shirts you if i had a hockey stick i'd poke you in your head if you weren't so big (laughs) as a kid growing up in winnipeg i grew up in an area called isaac brock and you know with your buddies that was your life in the wintertime you skated on the road and you played hockey and Summer, so sports is a big part of our life. Who would ever think as a young guy you'd be looking at pro hockey? But uh, at that time when I grew up, uh, I played real competitive hockey. I had great coaches. I had good guys to play with. And I just, it became a love of mine not knowing when I was 12 or 13 or 14 that professional hockey would be part of my life. But when I was 15 or 16 years old, Boston Bruins had a scout in our area and came over and said to my parents that they wanted to sign me to what they call a C form. That means I belong to the Boston Bruins. That was very exciting because not many people got a chance to do that. At 15, 16, I knew I wanted to be a hockey player, didn't know what to expect or where I fit in. So signing with Boston at that time, gave me the encouragement to say, well, maybe you can play the game. And uh, that's what started it all. Awesome. Um, now, once you got drafted to the NHL, what was that feeling like for you? Well, I was signed with Boston, so that meant I played with the Boston farm teams. At that time, you only had six teams in the NHL. Yeah. And Boston's farm club was Minneapolis and Oklahoma City. To make it to the National Hockey League was very difficult at that time because there was only six teams. And they had a tendency to save with the same players for years and years and years. In Oklahoma City, when I was there for two years, we won the championship two years in a row, playing against the Montreal's, the Chicago's, and the Detroit Farm Club. In goal, we had guys like Perrant and Favelle and Jerry Cheevers. We had Cashman. You know, we had so many great hockey players there. Joey Watson. But 
We just didn't get a chance at the NHL. So when they said they had a, a draft coming in 1967, we weren't sure what that was all about. But we knew the NHL teams would keep most of their older players and their star players, and the rest of us would go into a draft. So they had the draft that day, and to hear at that time, as you heard it on the radio, and then you saw it in the paper the next day, Los Angeles Kings had drafted me. It was exciting, but it's not like today. We really didn't know what to expect. Okay. Because it was all brand new. And at that time, Los Angeles Kings, the owner was Jack Kent Cook, and he bought that guy's name, Eddie Shore, who owned the Springfield hockey team in the American League. So when we went to training camp, there had to be 80 guys there. Oh, wow. we, har we hardly knew anybody. Some of these guys hadn't skated in years. The only guy we knew was Terry Sawchuk. He was the only legitimate NHL player we had, Hall of Famer goaltender. So getting to camp, we still didn't know what to expect. All these guys, we hardly knew each other. And uh, very exciting, very nerve-wracking, but also very unusual because we didn't know the guys. We didn't know the contracts. We didn't know the buildings. We didn't know the other teams. But we're in the National Hockey League. Now, we had a fan question that just popped up. Uh, when you, in your playing career, how hard was it to play against Bobby Orr? Oh, I get that question a lot. Nobody ever asked Bobby Orr how tough it was to play against me, right? <laughs> I don't understand those questions. But Bobby Orr, to me, changed the game of hockey. And uh, he was fast. He was strong. He was creative. Normally, in, in the old days, you went up and down your wing and you played your position. When you play against Bobby Orr, all of a sudden, he'd be going by you with the puck to the other end of the rink. You'd try to catch him, and then all of a sudden, he's coming back ahead of you. He was just a marvelous, and he was such a gentleman. I met him in, when I was 19. I was supposed to go play in Oshawa with Boston Bruins Farm Club. Uh, I ended up turning pro that year, never got a chance to play with Bobby. But Bobby became one of my idols in hockey because what he was like off the ice. So not only was he a heck of a hockey player, but he was also a great teammate and great for our game and great for charities. He helped us out so much in circumstances in Winnipeg. Became a heck of a guy, but also when he won the Stanley Cup, when they won the Stanley Cup, it was Bobby Orr. We, we just couldn't stop him. They beat us in the Stanley Cup in uh, the 72 series, and we lost the last game in uh, Madison Square Garden. Bobby took the puck and wouldn't let us touch it. Tremendous hockey player. Uh, you'll see me on YouTube. Him and I are fighting at Boston Garden. Not too smart on my part. Uh, <laughs> but he just, uh, I have a lot of respect for Bobby Orr. And I, for me, and I played, uh, I, you know, I played against a lot of the great ones, you know, the Bellavos and the Halls and um, so many other guys, your Sittlers. Bobby Orr, to me, changed the game. Now, well, don't worry. If I ever get the chance to interview or chat with Bobby Orr, I'll make sure to ask him that question. How hard was it to play against Ted Irvine? I'll make sure to get that included in there. Yeah, thanks a lot. He's going to say, who? <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Let's give you some credit. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it. But, I mean, you were listed on the 74th overall like ending or uh, Ranger great, which we'll get to uh, in a few questions. So, I mean, you had your name up there in the rankings. So... Yeah, I've been pretty lucky when I, my son Chris reminds me, he said, Dad, have you ever looked at what you did? I'm such a, in awe. I had, the, I had a chance to live my dream, to play hockey, to play in the NHL and get paid for it. I mean, you can't be any better. Now I look back and say, wow, 
and I played some pretty good games and get some great hockey players, and I put up some numbers too. Uh, I'm more proud today than I was then because now I really appreciate what what that was all about. That's good. Um, now, during your 15 years of uh, pro career, you played for the Bruins, you played for the Blues, as well as the uh, Rangers and the Kings. Which team out of those four was your favorite to play with? Well, most it was the New York Rangers. Uh, I, I was signed for Boston. You know, I played one game for Boston, and that, that, that you know mean a lot. But Los Angeles was terrific, give me a chance. But going to the New York Rangers, an original six team, a kid from Winnipeg, playing out of Los Angeles, and walking into that dressing room the first day with the Jackamans and the Hadfields and the, the Rattels and Joe Bears, and, and I'm going, oh, my God, this is the Big Apple. I was lucky I had a coach in the boss named Emil Francis that helped me out so much personally because I was scared. I mean, I had 50 bucks in my pocket and one sports coat when I got traded in New York. And he just said, well, you can't live in New York like that. And he helped me out money-wise. And But anyhow, so going to New York, it was probably the most intimidated I've ever been in my life. My first game was in Detroit, in the Olympia. My first shifts were against Gordy Howe. In that game, he knocked two of my contact lenses out during the game. Then we go to New York the next night. The New York fans, they are wild and crazy. I'm so lucky. They took a liking to me over the years. But to go into Madison Square Garden and play in front of 17,000 people, of wild, fanatic hockey fans, was so scary to me. I was so thankful that the guys I had as teammates, the management that put some uh, belief in me, we had some great years there. I played with some great hockey players. To this day, we've I've been to New York a few times for ceremonies. New York, for me, was the best place. I liked L.A. St. Louis was good to me. But New York, to me, was everything I dreamed of in the National Hockey League. Now, you actually just touched on it during the trade to New York. What was that experience like for you? Because now you see trades nowadays, and it's kind of almost such a commodity where players can be traded at any point. Back then, it was a little bit different. What was the feelings for you? I mean, like you touched on, you only had 50 bucks in your pocket in a sport jacket. Um, how was that trade for you? Like, how was the process for you? And what was it like going into a, a room full of guys that you just might have played against earlier in the year, and now you're, those are your new teammates? Yeah, good question. Very intimidating because. I didn't know a lot of the guys uh, in New York and because I was a Boston guy. Going in the dress room, it's <laughs> you're putting on equipment that doesn't feel right. Your, your pants don't fit. Your shoulder pads don't fit. You're afraid to say anything. Your sticks, everything's just wrong. Then you got to skate out with the guys. I remember you, you always used in those days you went through the benches to go onto the ice. You don't want to fall. You don't know which guy to fall around the ice. You don't know if to pass the puck and warm up or take a pass. And then you're hearing the fans yell at you and scream at you, and you realize, oh, my God, this is, is this what I dreamed of? So the trade itself, because my family was still back in L.A., and I'm going to be in New York for a while before I see them, it puts you up in a hotel in downtown New York, and at that time, Rangers never practiced at the Madison Square Garden. They always practiced out of town. So I had to get a ride with Rod Gilbert and Bobby Nevin, I didn't know them. I was scared. Nevy had won the, the uh, Stanley Cup with you guys. You know, he, he was such a big star, and Roger Bear was the god. You're making up stories about yourself. 
you just want to go back to your room and cry. But as I say, that's when a team comes into play. The New York Rangers are some of the best guys I've ever met, still to this day, my best friends, and you get through it. But you go back to yourself as a kid and say, this is what I wanted. This is what my mom and dad put me through all this for. And all of a sudden, you go to another level. You start believing in yourself. Some good things happen. You feel good. Playing in New York, I mean, the newspapers, headlines, and everything else. I remember I had a fight with Jerry Korab and Jerry Korab in, uh, that's Jerry Korab, uh, in, in, in Chicago. The next night, we played back in Madison Square Garden. Big banner up to rematch King Kong versus Irvin. Headlines in the paper rematch King Kong versus Irvin. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. 17,000 people are going to be watching me to fight that monster again. It was then all of a sudden you just, Ryan, you know what's like in sports. I, I, I heard you could hit a home run once in a while, but just a little bit. You know, just to, to be able to be part of it and live your dream. Who gets to do that? So the trade is awkward. You grow into it, but it hurts you because you don't think anybody loves you anymore. The worst line in sports is, well, the other team really wanted you. (laughs) They really wanted me. Why did you let me go type of thing? Yeah, where where was the love shown when I was (laughs) there? That's right. (laughs) My first shift. My first shift at Master Square Garden. Hey, Evan, you bum. Why didn't you fight Schultz? (laughs) These are my own fans. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, it's a good thing. That's a privilege. It's a good thing that they ended up loving you because you ended up, uh, out of your time with New York, you ended up ranking on the uh, 74th all-time member of the Rangers, um, like, career players in the book 100 Ranger Greats. What's it like for you? Like you said, it was nerve-wracking to go to New York and try and fit in at the start, but then the fans eventually loved you, but so did your teammates and things like that. How does it feel to have your name on that list as the 74th uh, all-time Ranger grade in that book? It's a real honor, because you're talking a lot of history with New York Rangers. Madison Square Garden, that's historic. And to be thought of that way, one of the writers was John Helligan, and I talked to him, and I said, John, he said, Teddy, you don't realize what you meant to this hockey club and to this hockey team and the town when you were here. I said, no, I never measured myself that way. So when I saw my name up there. I measured who was below me, who was above me. And to this day, I wear a, a Ranger ring with great pride. I go back there. I won the Players Player Award one year, voted by the players. I won the Writers Award one year by the New York sports writer, Dennis Botvan, had won it for the Islanders. Being in New York, I won the Charlie Conacher Humanitarian Award. I mean, I was a lucky guy playing there. So when I saw my, my name up there, my son Chris was very good. He said, Dad, why don't you accept that you were there? Because we were brought up to be humble. You know, you shut your mouth and be thankful that somebody's going to play, pay you to play a game. And then to see yourself be recognized. I go back to New York now, and I, I just, my, my son shakes his head. He goes back there to wrestle, and he says, Dad, people still ask about you. I still got good friends in Brooklyn, New York, and New York was really special to me. So to see my name up there, I have great pride. Recently, uh, uh, Brooks, the writer in uh, New York, you know, he ranked our line, Pete Semkowski and Bruce McGregor, the best third line in New York history. And I'm going, how would he even know? He happened to be there when he was 12 years old, saw us play, took a liking to us, and loved our line. 
those are compliments that you don't expect to get in life. So to be any part of the New York Rangers is a real honor to be honored top 100. Wow, that's pretty special. Yeah, it's definitely a huge accomplishment as well as all the other awards that you've gotten uh, over your um, career and even post-career with the Humanitarian Award and everything like that. And we met at a Special Olympics gala a couple of years ago. And I remember when I sat down at that table from coming off the stage, you, you started chatting with me about like my dad had given you a little bit of backstory on me and, and sports that we I've done. And uh, we just hit it off like that. And I remember telling my dad, I'm like, yo, dad, switch seats with me. I got to chat with this guy. And, and I saw the Rangers ring that you were wearing. And it was really cool to see. And uh, it's definitely um, a honor to have like those kind of memories and those, those uh, asks about you way past your career already, right? What do you mean by that? Just like, it, it's cool. Like, like you said. You mean stuff. older, Ryan? No, <laughs> I do not mean that. <laughs> No, like you said, with Chris going back to Madison Square Garden to fight and, and still being like, yo, how's your dad doing and things like that. So Yeah, no, it's special. No, I enjoyed meeting you that, that night. Your dad, your mom wasn't there at that time. But I remember you came over the table. I looked at the size and the first thing I said, did you skate backwards? <laughs> could have used you on the ice over the time. Then you blocked out all the lights. Nobody could see because you blocked out the sun too. <laughs> but I'm so proud of your career and how lucky we are to play sports, Ryan, because we only get to do something we love. But look at the people you've met and I've met, and that's what sports have done to it. And that's what this whole thing with this virus, I hope people get a chance to get out and enjoy sports again, enjoy good fellowship, and create great memories. Exactly, for sure. Talking about memories, let's talk about family for a second. So you have two, two children, Vanessa and Chris. Vanessa, as you mentioned, is a teacher uh, in L.A., you said? Uh, just saw that outside of uh, San Diego, Oceanside. Okay, perfect. Uh, and then you have Chris, obviously the wrestler. With, uh, used to be WWE, now AEW. Did Growing up, did Chris ever want to pursue hockey and follow in your footsteps with hockey, or did he always want to become a wrestler? No, Chris wanted... Uh, first of all, my daughter's one of the best school teachers in music down in San Diego, so i got to get that out there. She is awesome young lady, does so much for young people. Very, very proud of her. Now, Chris, he wanted, he wanted to play hockey a little bit. Chris was not, you know, was, wasn't a big man, eh? And uh, uh, that's what was, what's so incredible about his career. He's a big guy, but he's not a big man compared to the rest of them. So when he skated, he wasn't his game. You know, he just, uh, he, it just wasn't his game. He loved music. He loved writing. He played some baseball, some, uh, you know, football a little bit, uh, water pole. He skated with the guys. It wasn't really a passion for him. When he got to high school, he started to like it a little bit more. Plus, he got more confidence in himself and his strength. And he became a goon out there in, in high school hockey. Head button and the, the guy's stomachs and loved the game, but never had a chance to go any further. But loves hockey to this day. He's a huge historic guy on hockey with uh, Winnipeg Jets. He's got more Winnipeg Jets sweaters. And he he's skated more celebrity hockey games because his love of hockey. And has played Madison Square Garden a few times. So hockey wasn't his thing. But the writing was real with him. The entertainment aspect with his music was real with him. And so when he went into wrestling, it wasn't a surprise to us because when he was 11 or 12, 
the aunts of the family give him tickets to the wrestling at Winnipeg Arena. I took it to him, and he fell in love with it. He fell in love with the uh, theatrics. I shouldn't say that word because you might take might think that wrestling is not real. But uh, he loved that. He loved the size of the gloves. He loved the entertainment side. He loved the imagination. And so do his buddies. And most thing in life, if you've got friends that do the same thing, you usually have a good group of guys. And they love their music, and he loved this wrestling. So when he was 15 or 16, he said, Dad, you know, I might want to try it. And I said, look, I'm a big believer in letting people, young people especially, live their dreams. So we jumped in the car and we drove to Calgary and we put him in the Heart Foundation wrestling school. And that's what started the whole thing. He was living his dream. He loved it. He caught on to the wrestling right away. And he was dedicated. And then he lived the music. Hockey wasn't his thing, but he still loves to skate. He still loves that number 27, and but wrestling is living his dream. Uh, we actually have a comment um, in the in the chat here. Fozzie and Y2J, both top tier. Uh, and it comes from a guy that watches wrestling on uh, daily, so uh, he was a big fan of uh, Chris's work and still is to, to, to this day. Well, like I say, how many guys can live? You know, it, everybody thinks, oh, you're a wrestler. Oh, you look at where you're at. You're at the top of the world. No, he wrestled for hot dogs when he was 20, 21 years old. They had Orange Crush Pop. They set up the ring themselves. They got stiff for their pay in a lot of places. They did it because they loved it. Now, the music itself, that, again, has been one of those dreams. And he came up with this thought process Fozzie. They'd worked 13 years to get to where they're at right now. And that band of theirs, I'm so proud of those guys because it's not an easy life. and They just don't make it. There's so many bands out there. So the hard work has gone into his career, and it just happens. The biggest thing he can do, he can talk, you know, and he's an entertainer. And but he puts his effort into it, and uh, I appreciate fans. Fozzie, uh, I've been on that wrestling rock and roll cruise with the heavy metal. That is an experience in itself. No virus is going to live on that boat when you get off. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, let's chat about that cruise because I want to ask you between the cruise and also to the, the skits that you've been involved in. I, I know you actually told me to watch one that he did with you, and I did, where it was uh, his uh, birthday celebration, and he opens up a big box, and off goes the box, and you're standing there. And then you start chirping the crowd. And they start going at you, and then all of a sudden, I forget who he was in the ring with against, but they start going after you, and all I see is you just stand along the side. It's like, why did you grab a hockey stick and get in there? I got so caught up in it because you're in a you know stadium of people. I'm trashing the Chicago Blackhawks. They're booing me. Now I got to get out of the ring. Have you ever tried to get out of a wrestling ring? I couldn't even roll out. Then. I <laughs> caught up in the wrestling i'm watching the guys and i realize i gotta get out of here this is a brawl so i realize chris and the other guys are running up the ramp i gotta catch them and then one of the wrestlers throws a trombone hits me in the foot i want to go back in the ring then i realize you're not going back in the ring these guys are for real and it was quite it and the fans are so good as soon as i did that ryan i did it in buffalo one year and i didn't trash the uh the french connection line at that time but after it was all over, and I even in Chicago, I went up to have a beer, and the people were so kind to me, asking for autographs and pictures, remembering the old days. They're good sports at it. And after, Chris always said, did you go for a beer? I said, yeah. 
it's such a great family of fans and friends. So, yeah, I've done a few of those things, and it is nerve-wracking, trust me. What was the boat cruise like for you? Like you said, it's one of a kind, and obviously the virus wouldn't survive that cruise, to say the least. But what's it like just being part of that experience and, and seeing the success of that boat cruise and also to the band performing and everything out in the open water? Well, good for you, because Chris, he had opened for Kiss on their cruise, and Chris does not believe that uh, one door closes, another one opens. He said, I'm going to do it myself. Nobody ever done such a thing. Wrestling on a cruise, the, the ship couldn't figure out how we're going to do this. And he put it together, and the first one they pulled on late on the cruise, they didn't think he could sell it. He said, I'm not quitting. And he put it together, and you have heavy metal bands, and Chris is a believer of it's a team thing. It's about up-and-comers, and he knows so much about music. He invited so many groups that wanted to be on there. Then the wrestlers, the first year, he had some name guys, but he also had some undercard guys who never got an opportunity. So he gave a great opportunity to young wrestlers and to music people. Our families got to go on it, my daughter and the kids. The fans are so good. Chris calls me the Walmart greeter because I believe in people, <laughs> and the people come from all over the world. And they're there to have fun. They're singing. They're dancing. The comedian shows. There's the talk shows with old wrestlers. It's a heck of an experience. When you get off there, people say it's like a family experience. Everybody is. So I'm very, very proud of the fans, of the wrestlers and the music and the cruise ship. Chris has got the third one coming up. And people want to be on there because it's family fun. That's you get to meet people and they remember you, how you're doing and every out. I still get people still rip me from Detroit and from Montreal. Oh, where are you, bummer? And we have more fun. And the family and the kids and, and Chris is an entertainer and the fans go right along with it. It's a special, special. It's only four days. And thank goodness. <laughs> Couldn't do much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> they tell me they have beds on the ship. I wouldn't know. I never saw one. I just. I just went to one room to another room and great experience and fans love it because it's a, it's a level. You're not your uppity up wrestlers. You're not your uppity up bands. It is just down home. Here's where I want to be. I can relate to you guys. I respect the guys for that. Well, hopefully when this is all over, I can uh, save up enough dough and come onto that cruise and check it out myself. Cause it does sound like one heck of a time. Oh, you'd fit in there pretty good. Big guy. There'll be a lot, of people, a lot of people want to hang with you, trust me. Oh, yeah, just to be protected from the other wrestlers or something. Eh? Oh, no, no. I was talking to the security people on the cruise. I said, how is this crowd with the wrestlers? They said, nothing compared to the country western cruises. So <laughs> wrestlers oh. don't have that bad reputation. Yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, let's go back to hockey. So during all of your games, I mean, you played over 750 games. Uh, in your career, I know it's going to be hard to kind of peg down one, but what would be one of your top experiences playing in hockey uh, throughout your career? Well, it, it was the first year of expansion. Well, the first year when I was 19 years old, to get called up from Winnipeg. I've never flown in my life to pl go play in Boston Garden against the Toronto Maple Leaf. You know, nobody did that in those days. Nobody got called up from a 19-year-old to play in the NHL. Uh, nobody got run over by Andy Shack the first shift in the NHL. I did. What an experience. <laughs> that was cool. Being drafted was cool and everything else. But, you know, I, I believe in New York, playing in New York, 
playing in the old, old buildings, the crowds. I mean, Chicago, that big, beautiful old organ. You know, it was just so marvelous. Montreal Forum, the rinks itself, were all the things you dreamt about and saw in the paper and, and the music and the fans so close to you, that was cool. But I think New York is special for me because playing the New York Rangers and being in New York, people around the country want to get a piece of New Yorkers. So when we went into, you know, any city, whether it be Minnesota or Detroit or Vancouver or L.A., the fans wanted a piece of New York. It was the hockey team, but also the Big Apple. So to be able to raise to another level, that was cool. I scored in L.A. I scored an overtime goal in 21 seconds. I broke a record from 1940. Wow. And, Ryan, it was a beautiful goal. I went in deep two defensemen, went to my backhand, top corner, 21 seconds. Did you knock the water ball off? Ryan... I really didn't score it that way. The puck was shot in the corner. I went and threw it up front, hit the goalie in the head, and went in. You'll never hear the true stories. Oh, okay. Perfect. But the owner, Jack Can't Cook, gave me a thousand bucks and uh, for scoring that goal. Then it was broken so many times after. That was cool. Playing in Chicago, I got a hat trick against Bobby o uh, Hall and Stable. That's cool. Playing in New York in, in, the, in the Stanley Cup, that was so special. Uh, if I look back at now what an honor that was. But if I take anything, right, it's the guys I played against over the years. I look back at the Hall of Fame names. Boy, yeah, go to Montreal, Lafleur, you know, Savard, Robson, Belleville, uh, Cornwall, I mean, Dryden. And then you go to Detroit, you got Lindsay, you got Gordy Howe, you, you know, Tommy Chicago, Makita, Bobby Hall. I mean, those names, Boston, you know, Jerry Cheevers and Phil Esposito and Johnny Busick. Yeah, I, I play, and look at look at Toronto. I mean, Timmy Horton, you know, to this day, a good friend and you know of, of the past, you know, and then Sittler. That's a pretty cool career playing against those guys. You imagine that. So that would be the highlight if I look back at anything of the uh, the players I played against and also the honor that New York Rangers bestowed on me to let me do charity work. They supported me. They've invited me to, to the World Games with you guys. They've been, you know, We had the, uh, the hockey on, uh, championship here for all the teams. So a lot of th hockey was great, but I was exposed to so many things away from hockey, which is really an honor. And to this day, I'm still allowed to speak at banquets and, you know, and do some nice things and be involved in charities. And, uh, so the game itself, the game was great, no doubt about it. The players I played against, what an honor. But it's what I learned away from the game, what I could do as a human being, and National Hockey League gave me that opportunity. And that's such a great opportunity to be part of because it's one thing to play hockey, but it's also another thing to represent um, who you are off the ice as well. And just to kind of showcase that support into your community and into different teams and uh, support systems as well. So that's really cool and um, a really unique perspective on because I've asked like people what their favorite experiences are of if I've asked talking to a football player or, or a basketball player or anything like that. But having that unique experience is definitely one of a kind. Well, I take great pride in you, young fella. A lot of people put time and effort into you to play the sports and do what you love. What do you do right now? You pass it on, don't you? That's yep. what an athlete is. You help other people. 
that's what I'm so thankful. My family's helped me do that. The sport has helped me. And now as I sit and look back, boy, it's been fun to be part of other people's lives and let them taste some success that they may never thought all they needed was a little shot in the arm and somebody say, you can do it. And you've done that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, it's really an honor to have you on our show today as well. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. So out of all the players that you uh, played against, uh, including like the Eddie Shacks, the guys that you had to fight up against, who was the toughest player that you had to uh, play against in your career? Well, I think the, 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 the fastest fighter was John Ferguson. Uh, John uh, hit you so quick. He had his gloves off before he had a chance. And his eyes rolled in his head. He was mean. Dave Schultz, he was good at what he did. You had Gordy Howe was one of the – I was kidding some people the other day about social distancing. I learned when you play against Gordy Howe, you stay six feet away from his elbows. So I had no problem <laughs> figuring out where to stand in line in the grocery store here. Clark Gillies, New York Islanders, one of the toughest, meanest, and he could fight. Guys like that. You had crazy guys like Sweet Daddy Shacky. Shaggy was crazy. Did he fight? He wasn't a great fighter. I <laughs> never knew where he was coming from. He was good. So there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of unknown guys that you just stayed away from. Orlin Curtin back. Uh, you just stayed away from. You're a nice guy. You just stayed away from certain guys. Tiger Williams and Trump. I mean, these guys were, they came at you. They were ready to fight. You know, like Boston. Uh, you know, you had Cashman was crazy. Ace Bailey was Teddy Green. Those days, they were going to fight you. There's just no doubt. Now, the, now today, the guys are real fighters. I mean, we we, we we hit each other with our purse. Those guys can throw punches today. So that's the guys I look at. Did I lose you here? Or did I go? Uh, you just flipped the screen. Just got to flip the screen back. Where's that? Bonnie? Where's the screen, Bonnie? You don't want to see me anyhow. So those are some of the guys I played against. Uh, Terry Sawchuck is a goaltender. Bonnie? So, <laughs> there you go. We get to see the little puppy. It's all good. <laughs> so, anyhow, I just got to grab her. Bonnie. So, anyhow, what's your next question? There's my beautiful place and my lake. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan screwed this up. Can you put me back here? <laughs> just got to flip the screen, double top on the screen to flip it back around. I can't Double tap at the bottom. Uh, no, you should just be able to tap on the screen itself, and uh, you should be able to flip it back. Okay. How does it come back to me, though? No, it's still... Uh, that's me. Okay. Where are you watching? You got it? Nope. I'm still taking a picture of our fireplace and everything else. See, you're good-looking guys. Ask some more questions. Bye. All right. The, the, the next question I have for you is, during your career, you were nicknamed the Babyface Assassin. How did you get that nickname? Where are we going here? Right. Just got to double tap the screen. Yeah, I did. Oh, strange. Yeah. Screen or your yours? Yeah, oh. it is. I'm, I'm pressing the top of the screen. All right, here, you know what? Let me exit this real quick, and I'll come back and invite you back in one second. Oh, hey, hold on. Oh, 
Well, we got, we had him. One second, one second. Here we go. Hold on. Waiting, connecting. There we go. We're back. We're back what? in business. Well, I told you I played hockey without a helmet. I'm not that smart. <laughs> it's all good. We're, hey, we're making it through. This is it's technology nowadays. You know, it's called, my son always says, "Dad, you got to reinvent yourself." So yeah, no, the babyface assassin started in Los Angeles, and uh, being in LA and Hollywood, they wanted different names for you. For some reason, I got into. A, a couple of fights out there, and for some reason, because of my looks and everything else, they called me a baby-faced assassin. And so that's what stuck with me. In fact, that's how I ended up getting traded almost to New York Rangers. I was in a fight with uh, Bobby Plager for the St. Louis Blues. Noel Picard was his defense partner, came in to help Bobby. So I had Bobby and Noel trying to punch my lights out. And I held my own, and Emil Francis, New York, was at the game, and he traded for me. And okay. he's this baby-faced assassin. I said, well, you don't expect me to fight those two guys again. <laughs> but that's where that's where it all came, because the hockey cards in those days were fun. Eh? And I had somewhere I did a dance after I scored a goal. I didn't score a lot of goals sometimes, so I did a little dance. And so, now, Hollywood was a fun spot. It, we had all the movie stars in our dressing room, and... Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers were part of our team, uh, uh, dressing room with Wilt Stilt Chamberlain. So we were surrounded by Hollywood at that time. And so Babyface Assassin, nobody believes that now. Hey, I mean, there's still people that do. I, I ended up finding out that nickname through a friend of mine who, was, uh, who asked about the uh, Y2 or mentioned the Y2J. Uh, comments so it uh, it still sticks around to this day i think so that's the trouble with hockey cards you're all your information is out there forever yeah exactly just as long as it's good information that's all that matters right uh, that's right um now my last question for you is obviously uh, everyone's going to have a different experience when it comes to nearing the end of their career for you what was that like knowing that you were nearing the end of your career professionally and kind of stepping away from the ice when I got traded from New York Rangers, St. Louis Blues, that was the where I started going downward. In New York, for the six years I was there, I had a role to play. New York was very good at all three lines had a different job. You had the gag line of Jobert and Hadfield and Rattel. They were the goal scorers. Then you had Kachuk, Fairburn, and Vickers. They were the goal scorers, uh, good defensively. Then you had our line, Stemkowski, McGregor, and myself. We all had a role certain times of the game, and we all believed in each other. And if I did something, uh, Jean Rattel could come to me and congratulate me. And I really knew he meant it. And that's a real honor. John Rattel, one of the classiest guys in hockey. We had a role to play. When I went to St. Louis, I didn't have a role anymore. You know, you know if somebody hit John Rattel, I'd go over the boards. If somebody hit Eddie Jackman, I'd go over the boards. St. Louis, it just wasn't that closeness. Nothing wrong. The guys were great. Unger and Plagers and everything else. It just wasn't a close team. In New York, we had that magical... You had to stick together when you played in Boston or Philadelphia. So when I got to St. Louis, my role changed. I thought I could, I thought I could do this or that, but in the meantime, I couldn't. I just lost the love, and every year it slowly disappeared away from me. I just didn't have the fighting instinct. I couldn't. I didn't find the line that I was good on, and so then what happened was Chris was in St. Louis, and he was six or seven at the time. And he was playing a little hockey there, and he was playing some baseball back home. And when summer he came to me, he said, Dad, could you stay home one year so I could 
grew up with my friends. Couldn't you teach? I took Kung Fu when I was in New York with the Rangers. I he said, can't you teach Kung Fu here? Let me just stay in one place for a while. Then I realized that that time, no, it's over for me. It's now my son's time. And uh, so I let Emil Francis know. I never really, I was in great shape to go to training camp, but I just didn't have the heart anymore. And then when the WHA came here, Winnipeg Jets approached me, Edmonton approached me. They wanted me to play. Winnipeg's been a natural. The players approached me. I knew them, a lot of good guys. But my mom had said to me, you know what, Ted, I don't want you to play in the WHA. I, I couldn't handle you playing in Winnipeg, and it would hurt me too much. It just everything just seemed, ah, no, nah, this is Chris's day, not mine anymore. So that's how it ended. Over the last, uh, those years, other clubs that approached me, I thought maybe, maybe. But I'd lost the love because New York was my team, and uh, I couldn't replace that competitiveness, the, the fellowship, and I just couldn't find a role. So for me, uh, you know, it was uh, it took me a lot of years to transition. I bet you it took me eight to ten years coming out of hockey to realize I wasn't a hockey player anymore. And well, at least it was for a good cause in the sense of family and supporting the family and things like that, versus having like a career, like a career-ending injury or something like that. At least you were able to go out on your terms the way that you wanted to. Yeah, I was very lucky over my life and uh, injuries. I had very few of them. And then also, though, uh, very lucky with the teams I played for. So, so I, I was lucky enough. I had a good career. I, I have no regrets looking back on anything. Now, I actually have one more question for you. For all the young guns that want to try and make the NHL today, what kind of advice would you give to them, either on training camps, work ethic, dedication, anything like that? What kind of words of advice would you want to give them? Well, the difference today is these kids are going to camp so early. Their skill level is so high. They do drills that, you know, they do things with the puck. If we did it, they'd just say, well, you lost the puck. These guys are actually doing it on purpose. So they're well-trained. They're exercising all the time. They're trained on the media stuff. Not everybody's going to make it. We know that. And if I say to anything, to anybody, you're going to want it more than anybody else. You know, and even in that case, somebody's got to give you a break too. It's yeah. such a big game now. Doesn't mean you're bad at this or that. You got to live your dream. You got to work hard at it. You got to believe in yourself. But it may not work. And the guys that do work, I say to them every year. Look at the lifespan of a National Hockey League player. Was it three, three and a half years? Something. Like that. That's very it's, short. Yeah. So you got to want it more than anybody else. And uh, we always had an old saying, you know. Somebody comes into training camp, they're trying to put your hand, their hand in your pocket and take out your money. So you got to want it more. It's not going to be easy. And, and guys just got to realize there's more guys doing more today than ever before. They want it bad. You know? And then when you do get there, one of the things that bothers me, don't take it for granted, guys. <laughs> not everybody gets this chance. You know, exactly. Believe in what you do, but give back to the game. And so young guys... I watch them. I talk to them lots. I'm still friends with guys who own junior teams. It's a dream. What bothers me is if you don't live your dream, what's going to happen? There is another world out there, and it's going to be okay. And all the skills you got in hockey, you can carry through to your next career. Exactly. That's, that's work, how it works nowadays. Work your buns off. Work more than 
Like I always say to kids, you're going to go to training camp, you'd be the last person off the ice, you lead them in skating, you do everything that nobody else wants to do. And if you're down 12 nothing, you still work hard. Because I always say, you don't know who's watching you anymore either. Yeah, there's so many scouts from so many teams that Joe Blow in Section 312 in the top row could be the, the scout that has his eye on you and wants to prove you to their team. And as long as you're doing that work ethic and that dedication, yeah. that's all that matters. You're right. And don't let anybody spoil your dream. Because, you know, maybe it's not hockey, but all you're learning right now may be something for your next step. You just got to... When you play sports, as you know, people want to knock you off the castle. So be ready for that, too. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody loves you. <laughs> well, we all love you, Ted. And thank you so much for taking the time uh, to chat with me and with us today. Um, it was a great conversation to have with you. Well, I'm very proud of you, young fellow. You know that. You've worked hard. It's fun to be your friend and to, to see those uh, – is that a Ranger? No, that's not a Ranger sweater. That's not a L.A. King sweater. Well, you don't have any of those uh, good sweaters. You know how much <laughs> no, money I got? I got, I got a Tony Fernandez Toronto Blue Jays sweater and a uh, Chad Owens Toronto Argonauts sweater. Right, but I, I also see what's behind your ears, so don't try to tease me. Decide <laughs> those up right there. <laughs> I'm a very good friend of the Sutter families and Jonathan Taze for Winnipeg. So you got two good sweaters up there. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dad, so much for taking time. And uh, yeah, stay safe and we'll, we'll try to get with you soon. Please do and say hello to your mom and dad and keep up the good work. I will. Thanks so much. Okay, pal. All right, take care.